Welcome to Better Food Stories, a show that celebrates real food and the people and companies who make it. I'm Audrea Greenhoff, and in this interview series, I'm sitting down with the entrepreneurs behind some of today's newest and most innovative food brands out there to find out what it really takes to make it in this highly competitive space. Hey guys, happy Sunday and welcome to another episode of the Better Food Stories podcast. Today on the podcast, I am chatting with Chris Carter and James Peisker, the co-founders of a fantastic company called Porter Road. Porter Road is a high-end butcher shop providing hormone-free pasture-raised meats sourced from local farmers. They're based in Nashville, Tennessee, and after years of serving their local community, they are now delivering nationwide. In addition to being a really fun interview, these guys are doing some fantastic work in the food industry, so I'm excited to share their company story and insights with you. In this conversation, we talk about how Porter Road is setting out to improve today's meat industry by giving the power back to local farmers, putting animal welfare at top of mind, and keeping the integrity of the land that these animals are raised on. I also get Chris and James's insight on the alternative meat industry and their advice on how we can all do better as consumers and what exactly we could do to fix the current state of our food industry. Plus, if you are a meat fan, Chris and James are sharing their tips on what to look for when purchasing meat to make sure that you are getting the best quality product possible. As always, you can get the show notes to this and every episode of the Better Food Stories podcast on my website, audriagreenhoff.com slash podcast. And if you scroll down to the bottom, you can sign up for the mailing list to get alerted every time there is a new episode published. If you're enjoying the conversations, also remember to drop me a review on iTunes. It helps more people discover Better Food Stories and gets the stories of these fantastic food entrepreneurs into the headphones of more listeners. Now let's dig into my conversation with Chris and James of Porter Road. Enjoy. And so James and Chris of Porter Road, thank you so much for joining me. Why don't we start by telling the audience a little bit about who you are and then what your business Porter Road is all about. Um, I guess you want me to go first, James? Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, I am Chris Carter. Uh, one of the co-founders of Porter Road. My name is James Peisker. Thanks for having us. Uh, I am one of the co-founders of Porter Road based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and we are on the journey to change the meat industry. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about what you guys offer. Take us through your customer journey. Well, there's many different ways, and Chris and I met in a kitchen long, long ago, and both had the philosophy that better food comes from better places mm-hmm. and that if you raise animals and grow vegetables and grow things with care and passion, you're not only going to be able to take care of your taste buds by producing better food, but you're also going to be able to take care of the people working the farm, the consumers, and the land that we grow on as well. Yeah. So... With Porter Road, we are an omni-channel meat company that actually sells through PorterRoad.com, delivering uh, fresh and frozen meat to the Continental 48 
in 100% recyclable and biodegradable packaging. We have a brick and mortar store currently in Nashville, Tennessee. And then we also wholesale to almost 100 restaurants in Tennessee and Kentucky currently. That's fantastic. It gives us, so by creating this meat company, it's given us the opportunity to help change the meat industry for the better. And by that, we have very strict standards and practices that all of our farmers must adhere by to sell into the Porter Road world. That's great. So I would love to to touch on that. Let's talk a little bit about you know, me, as you know, there are a ton of different terms out there to an average buyer. You know, there's, we hear about organic, we hear about grass fed, we hear about all kinds of different things. What um, kind of sets you guys apart and what do you think most people should be looking for when it comes to purchasing quality meat? So the biggest thing we always say is you should know where your food comes from. Yeah. Even if you don't necessarily know the person directly and you don't shake their hand, you should trust the company that is producing the product. Yeah, and Porter Road is very much and always has been a mission-driven company backed on the beliefs and transparency in the system and truth and labeling. So I think kind of what you're alluding to is is how confusing it can be with all the uh, buzzwords and terms that kind of flow around out there with uh, all natural. And I mean, what are, what are your what are some of your favorites, James? Uh, well, the, the all-natural um, is the best because that literally means nothing was done to it uh, after slaughter. There's a bunch of different terms and buzzwords that get thrown around. Uh, what we focus on is the animal welfare, and what we do that is unique is everything we do is 100% pasture-raised. Nothing, none of our animals are ever raised inside, and we work directly with farmers to make sure that they don't have to feed them antibiotics because they're sick and overcrowded. They don't have to feed them hormones because we pay them enough to not have to force them to grow faster than they naturally can, which ultimately helps with the land on it. And because Porter Road is such a unique company, we are completely vertically integrated. And by that, we mean we own our own harvesting plan, our own processing facility, fulfillment center. So... It, the whole process of Porter Road is farmer, us, you, and that's it. And the modern meat industry, there's so many middlemen and so many steps in the middle that the people at the end, the farmers, the ones that truly feed America, are the ones that get the littlest slice of the pie. Yeah. And what we're trying to do is break that system up, give the money back to the farmers, give the power back to the farmers so they can take care of their animals and their land in the way that they want to, in the way that they know they have to, to make sure that that land is there for generations to come. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you're kind of shortening the journey of where the meat is actually sourced and comes from to how it ends up on somebody's dinner plate. You're shortening that journey, taking out middlemen. I love that. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And it gives us the opportunity by getting our hands dirty and owning the actual slaughterhouse and doing the harvesting ourselves, we're able to do things that other companies are not able to do. We can play around and put cuts onto our website that we just want to do for a short limited time because it's fun and playful. Um, we can also do something super unique to us, which is dry age our entire carcasses for 14 days. So every piece of beef that we sell 
all the way from our fillets and ribeyes to our ground beef and hot dogs, it's 14 days to dry age. It also gives us the ability to invest in consumer experiences by mimicking stepping in the front door of a Porter Road butcher shop, giving the customer the ability to to order a la carte and not be forced into big bulk ordering or subscription-based only companies. Um, we can also, like James said earlier, ship a fresh product within two business days in a completely recyclable, biodegradable, compostable uh, packaging. That's great. So you do offer a la carte options. It's only, do the customers have the option of a subscription box if that is what they're looking for? We do have a subscription, but it's very much uh, set up as a convenience to the consumer. So if somebody comes in, falls in love with Porter Road, and then decides that they want to turn their brain off for a little while and just have the, the greatest meat in the country show up at their house, they have that ability. But then they also have the ability, if Bob and Sue call on Thursday and are coming over for the weekend, you can add on a couple steaks to that order to show up with your regular subscription. So you still, you're not locked into subscription only. You can shop just like you would normally shop for anything at any butcher shop. That's great. And then you also have the um, physical storefront location you said in Nashville and you also wholesale. So there's a lot of different ways that people are coming um, in contact with your product. Absolutely. Very cool. So you mentioned, um, really briefly that you both met in the food industry. I'd love to hear where the idea for this business initially came from. So James and I uh, met in a restaurant in downtown Nashville, both of us coming from uh, our traditional schools and then coming through uh, culinary training to be the next great American chef. We met and decided that we were going to open a restaurant together within three days of working with one another. No um, way, that's cool. We just, just immediately connected on all the things that we think are important in the food system, which we are working so diligently on today. Um, in order to open this restaurant, we were running a catering company on the side, keeping with the standards that we've always had, uh, whether it was for four people or a thousand people we were catering for. And we constantly ran into the situation where we could not find meat that fit into our standards. Um, so we decided to shift gears and there was enough farm to table restaurants out there. And uh, we wanted to fix the broken food system on a very local level. So we opened the doors of Porter Road Butcher being Nashville's first true whole animal uh, butcher shop. So it started with the physical location, and then how soon after did you um, add in different channels like online and all of that? Well, it started even before that because Chris and I started developing relationships, going out to farms, spending time in rural Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, even as far as Georgia, talking to farmers and learning, and we were selling at a farmer's market originally. So Porter Road started as a fold table underneath a pitch tent at a farmer's market in East Nashville, Tennessee. That's really And cool. our home base office was uh, Chris's house on Porter Road. I love it. Is that So that's where the name came from. I love that. That's so cool. And uh, we still don't have a butcher shop on Porter Road. It's on Gallatin <laughs> <No>. Road. <laughs> <laughs> 
the name is still there. <laughs> so talk to me about the relationship with the farmers. I would think maybe since both of you had a background in the food industry, did you come in with some of your own contacts or how are you meeting these farmers and kind of, um, you know, making sure that their practices are meeting your standards and how are you forming those relationships? Well, I feel like our standards and our knowledge change every day because we continue to learn more. Uh, Chris and I are, you know, students of the world and we constantly try to grow and continue to better ourselves every day and our company as well. So what we knew, you know, almost a decade ago when we were a farmer's market booth was nothing compared to what we have learned over the years and the relationships that we've developed over that decade. Uh, Farming community is very small. There's, you know, unfortunately more people in the United States prison system than there are farmers in this country. Wow. So our priorities are very skewed and off. So finding the group of people that have the same philosophy as us was difficult to find. But once you found them and once you created that trust, uh, it's a very tight knit group out of the, um, all of the meat raised in this country, only about 1% would fall into the standards of what Porter Road sells. So if you can imagine of that 2%, we have, you know, 1% that's not a lot of people that have the vision of what we can do to change the world by putting animals out back on pasture and into the woods and doing farming practices that are helpful for the environment and not going to destroy your land and the waterways that they're next to. I love that you guys talked about your connection when you first met. Um, you know, you talked about within three days of knowing each other, wanted to work together. What for each of you initially sparked your interest in the culinary world and later of uh, what sparked your passion for, you know, meat in particular? Personally, I have been interested in the food industry since I was very young. I started working in the restaurant industry when I was 14 at a diner across the street from my house um, and realized that cooks have way more fun than anybody else in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. So that was who I wanted to go work with. And by the time I was 16, I was in kitchens and it was always kind of my passion and desire. And it wasn't until my early 20s that my eyes were kind of opened and it all stemmed from the documentary Food Inc. Mm -hmm. um, I watched the documentary. I had been a cook at that point, you know, for almost six years, five, six years, and I was really into it. I, I did a lot of things to keep on pushing my craft and my skill. And I saw this and it kind of opened my eyes and made me start to think in a very different way. And then I went down the rabbit hole and started reading Michael Pollan's books and Joel Solitin's books and just craving more and more knowledge and realized that not only can we make the best, most delicious food with products that we get from people who care about what they're doing with that, the way they raise it and the way they grow it, uh, you can also make a good social change and benefit the entire community, the entire world for the better by making sure that you're serving the best food possible. And to me, it's a, it's a no-brainer. 
I understand that, you know, some people really want, you know, like a 60 ounce steak for themselves. But if we can show them the way and convince them that if you take this dry, delicious, pasture-raised, wonderful goodness steak, you don't need to overindulge. Mm-hmm. Because your body's going to be satisfied, your taste buds are going to be satisfied with something that has so much flavor that you don't need to overindulge in it. Absolutely. And that actually is a good segue into my next question. When it comes to, um, you know, cooking steak and cooking beef, what do you think that most people maybe get wrong? And what would some, you know, tips be for really choosing a great cut of meat and making sure that it comes out really great? I feel like that's a very broad question. <laughs> yeah, I was going to hear say... from Chris's broad. <laughs> I was going to so, say bake, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, every cut of the animal is amazing and special in its own way. Um, there is something that is better for high heat on the grill. Mm-hmm. There is something that's better for the Dutch oven and the crock pot. There, you know, there. You can pull out these special things. You can take the toughest, gnarliest looking piece of meat, and with a little bit of time, love, and patience, you can create something that's so amazing and delicious, and transform it into something that is not only delicious but extremely nutritious. Because when you take those cover, tougher cuts and break down that connective tissue, it turns into that gelatin that all the health nuts are talking about nowadays. Yeah, It's something that is incredibly good for you, but it's also delicious. So it's such a broad question. I feel like we could have a 10-part series on oh, just that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> With Chris telling you about every one of his favorite cuts and how to cook them. I agree. And I'm going I'm to start that now. You ready? <laughs> I'm just like, um, knowing, knowing all the different variables, you know, around just that one question and trying to find out just one thing that people are probably doing incorrectly, I would say it's just not asking questions, um, you know, be inquisitive and because we have several questions that, that we ask our customers when they step in the shop and we try to translate that onto the digital platform as well, which is, you know, how many people are you cooking for? How much time do you have? What's your expertise level and what's your cooking gear? And through just that series of questions, and then it would be like, well, is it pork, beef, or chicken that you want to cook? Mm-hmm. Um, we can make a recommendation around that. But, you know, with just that series of questions, we can really narrow it down to what a consumer's looking for. And you can always try new things. I would say always be adventurous and ask questions. And if you have somebody that's trusted, like Porter Road, um, then, you know, we'll guide you to the perfect dish. Our chat bot on our website is extremely knowledgeable. And if they it don't know the question... It comes out to Chris and I, and yeah. it's literally <laughs> <laughs> it's, awesome. it's literally a line to James. <laughs> That's the chat awesome. box, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a real thing. They are people that we know and we talk to regularly, and it is customer service is a very very important thing, and it has been to us in the in the in the brick and mortar butcher shop, and we did not want to lose that connection to the customer by uh, launching a digital. Uh, presence. So it's been very, very important to us every step of the way. But like Chris was saying, it's having, you know, the wonder and having the desire to continue to learn. 
meat is one of those things that people in our experience are a little intimidated by there's a lot of cuts people call them different names there's different things i if you don't know what to do with it let somebody help you and guide you because once you learn the basic anatomy of an animal really simple once you learn what part to do you can cook just about anything in such an easier way but it's having those questions and then asking and wondering what we tried to do on our website was put as much information out there without being overwhelmed. So our front product page, you look at it and it's a super brief description, beautiful picture of the cut and the price. If you scroll down, we actually give you tips and tricks. And then we tell you what the best cooking methods are. Uh, we, we learned this through trial and error as we started going online because Chris and I started traveling to New York where our digital team is based out of mm-hmm. and people would ask for recommendations and, you know, two guys from Tennessee are going to tell you, well, light up the grill and then you're going to, and it took us a little bit to learn, oh, nobody has a grill because you're all in New York. <laughs> yeah. Nobody has a porch. <laughs> yeah, nobody has a porch. So there's no reason, you know, you're, you're I'm not going to recommend, you know, that pound and a quarter bone in ribeye to somebody who's going to have to cook it in a skillet or in the broiler. I'm going to come up with a different method. And just because one method works for one cut definitely doesn't mean it's going to work for the next cut because everything is super unique. Everything does its own important process in the animal's life. And when we cook it and we take care of it, we need to appreciate what that process was and cook it in the correct way. Yeah, and guidance is not that great on the grill sticker in your local grocery store. A London, bro- a London broil is not great on the grill, no matter what the kid says with the roll of stickers. Um, I think that's great insight. And like you mentioned, I think even for people who like food, um, you know, m- meat can be this kind of, like you said, an intimidating sort of, you know, walking into a butcher shop can be a little bit intimidating if you don't exactly know what you're looking for right off the bat. I feel like it's almost like wine to people, you know, sometimes wine kind of scares yeah. people a little Absolutely. bit. Yeah. So we, we make that comparison all the time. Our butchers are very much like sommeliers of the meat world and that butcher case is intimidating. Yeah. James and I, I mean, I've, I've owned a, a, a slaughterhouse for, for six years, seven years, however long it's been. And I can go into a butcher <laughs> shop outside of, outside of my own or outside of our butcher shop. And I feel intimidation and it's that, it's that, that, that counter that's there and that separation. So even in our brick and mortar store, we train our uh, butchers and our employees will walk around the case and they'll join the customer on the other side of the case because it's a great it's a great opportunity for education because they don't know what you know. And it's a time for you to look through the glass together, talk about the different cuts, you know, get them as, you know, as much information as they want to hear. And, you know, it's great that you make that connection on your own because we talk about it all the time in that, that aspect. Well, and, you know, it's easy for us to, uh, you know, talk about it in wine terms a lot too. And like Chris was saying, we use that, you know, comparison a lot. And with that, you know, like, just because it's beef doesn't mean beef is always going to taste the way it does. Just because it's pasture-raised doesn't mean it's not going to taste good. You know, just because it's 
past your A's doesn't mean it's going to, you know, taste bad. You don't really know. So once again, that goes back to trusting your supplier, knowing what you want. And there's sometimes when people are trying to do such good that it ends up not being that good in the long run. Mm -hmm. And over years of experience, what Chris and I have learned, you know, some people ask us, well, why aren't you all grass-fed? Or some people ask us, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Um, there's, there's certain things that we've learned over the years. And first and foremost, Chris and I come from the culinary world, and flavor is going to remain king. Mm -hmm. And to us, that's the most important thing. And if we can get the nutritional benefit and we can get the environmental benefit and we can still feed them a little bit of grain while they're out on the pasture, to us, it's a no-brainer because you're going to get such a better standardized product, such a better marble and such a better flavor uh, and still get the added benefits as well. Right. That's why we say our, fla our flavor starts in the field. Well, in the terms, strictly grass-fed, is going to be nutritionally better for you okay. than whenever you feed any kind of grain into their diet. Okay. That is a true statement. 80% of our grass-fed beef that we eat in this country is imported from other countries with regulations that are not our own. 80% of the meat mm -hmm. is traveling from New Zealand, Australia, or Brazil. Wow. 80% um, mm -hmm. of it is eating things that we don't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. And even to be certified grass-fed, you can feed them things like peanut butter or cotton hulls or green chop. There's all these loopholes that you can go through. You can actually have a concentrated feed operation that is 100% grass-fed organic beef, mm -hmm. which is just kind of takes away what it's supposed to be, which is out on pasture and that, you know, picturesque. American landscape that we all imagine, mm -hmm. but if you can make a dollar off of it, some corporation somewhere is going to figure out how to ruin the fun for the rest of us. Yeah. So we we feel that the flavor and the consistency that you get from the product we have uh, is the best case scenario that we can get. And the problem with true true grass fed in our minds is that the animal has to live. A lot longer to grow up to harvest weight, to grow that fat, which is generally going to make it a tougher product and way more inconsistent. And with that, too, the, on our personal experience, what we've seen as a problem with 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef is the fact that different grasses, different time of year, are going to give the animal different nutritional values. So a spring, a beef harvested in the spring is going to taste so much better than a beef harvested in the summer because all the grass dies in the middle of the summer. It hibernates because it's so warm and so dry. Yeah. And then it'll come back in the fall. But the fall grass that is growing is different than the spring grass. And then during the winter, when no grass is growing, you have to feed them hay, haylage, silage, whatever you're feeding them. So once again, you have a completely different problem. So what we try to do is give them the grass, give them the hay into the feed that they have as well. So that way it's a much more consistent product while they're still out on pasture. They're getting the nutrients they need. They're getting the, they're re-fertilizing uh, the pasture and making sure that the animals are spread out and not causing an environmental crisis by concentrating all the way. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> well said. 
I think that's a great so explanation good. because there are so many, you know, you go back and forth like, oh, well, is the X better than Y is better than Z? You know, it's almost like in the fish industry, too, is, you know, farm raised versus wild. And, you know, you could argue that there are advantages and disadvantages to each of them. One isn't necessarily better than the other. Um, it just, you know, depends on, like you said, knowing where exactly it's coming from. Where it's coming from and what it's doing. And right. honestly, the truth be told, we all need to eat less meat anyway. Yeah. Yes, you heard that correctly. A guy that owns a meat company <laughs> is telling you to eat less meat. But I'm telling you this because when you eat meat, you should eat something that is satisfying and it's flavorful. And it's like a 14-day dry-aged third-pound burger is going to be, you know, delicious. You don't need a burger every single day of your life. But when you eat one, it should be something that's satisfying and unique and special. And if we can figure out how to eat quality meat with portion sizes that fit to what we actually need to be a healthy beefy, then we can fix a lot of problems with what we're doing. And maybe we probably don't need to be worried if it's 100% grass-fed or partially grass-fed if we're not eating or over-consuming the products at hand as well. Yes. And with that, you know, now that you mentioned, you know, the impact on the environment and the fact that people are eating so much meat, and I think that people are starting to to realize the impacts. We're in a really interesting time in the food industry, especially with these like meat alternative options that are coming out. What do you think for a company like yours are the biggest challenges and advantages um, in a time like this, when we're seeing the Beyond Meats and the Impossible Whoppers and all these alternatives. KFC so we, came out today. Yes, I heard sorry, that. Throw that up there. <laughs> so we, we actually, we take a very, uh, I think a very unique stance on that. Um, and, and knowing that, that the food system's broken and that everybody is doing their part to fix it, is that Porter Road kind of supports the um, the better options for the consumer uh, way way of thought, and that whether that be anything outside of the commodity system that is currently available to people is is better for you. We we agree with the philosophy of all of those companies that there is something to matter. Yeah, but we disagree yeah. with the way to fix it. And with all of these companies, it is a very popular fad and people should eat less meat. But my personal problem with it is that when we say you should eat less meat, it doesn't mean you should eat a fake cheeseburger. It says that maybe you should eat, you know, some vegetables Mm -hmm. and some whole grains and some fruit because that's what we are all missing as a whole is getting enough of those. So when we create the substitute of a lesser of two evils, like Chris was saying, you know, you're still, they're not like necessarily healthy for you by any means. And if you're getting them at Burger King, most likely you're getting that French fries and that large drink along with it. So you're not actually solving any of the problems. And what you're actually doing is increasing the need for monocultures, increasing the need for um, synthetic fertilizers to continue to help grow this system which is going to grow us enough soy to give us the protein for all of these things. 
So it's either we're turning this soy into a fake meat or we're feeding it to animals and capos. To me, our system still sounds better than those two alternatives. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, even, and I, and I of course, I agree, but, uh, <laughs> you know, even, even, even in that, that, that thought, though, it, it is, no matter what, raising awareness um, that there is something wrong with the food system, whether it's whatever you're going to support, it's raising that awareness, and that awareness is very much an advantage for a company like Porter Road in a time like right now, where Netflix is making a documentary every other week about the meat industry. Porter yeah. Road always supports those. Like we get behind that and we say, yes, the meat industry is messed up. And the Porter Road way of doing it correctly, decentralizing the meat industry is, is, is the way to fix those things that are messed up in that current system. Um, so I think the awareness that, 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 that Beyond Meat and those other companies bring is, is all, we're all working this for, the same, for the same outcome. Right. Which is fixing the broken food system. Yeah. Yes, we agree with them on that. But the problem is, is they sell themselves as a whole, as a nutrition food, and a fried fake chicken nugget probably is still pretty bad for you. No, and it's still a super highly processed, highly synthetically flavored, colored, all of these things. You know, whether we're talking about the fake cheese or the fake meat or the fake, fake, fake. What it really stems down to, if you want to be a vegetarian and you think that's the way to change it, that's all good and dandy. But as a vegetarian, you should be able to accept the fact that you don't get to eat a Philly cheesesteak anymore. Right. You just don't do it. You decided to be a vegetarian, which is a very powerful statement, and it's something that can be incredibly healthy for you and the world. But the way we look at it is you can have an incredibly balanced, healthy diet with the right quantities of the right meat. The thing that truly makes you healthy is by eating unprocessed whole foods. And unprocessed Absolutely. whole foods can include, it can include a cheeseburger. But it's a cheeseburger that you're making at home, you know, that has a whole grain bun, that has vegetables on it, that's not served with the supersized soft drink, that's not served with the jumbo and the apple pie and the... yeah. Man, I'm hungry now. I'm just <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, this has been really insightful. Thank you both for for introducing us to Porter Road and sharing your insights on this industry. Before I let you guys go, um, I do sort of fun closing questions that are a little bit off topic with all of my guests. Are you up for that? Yes. The first question is, what is the last movie or TV show that you watched? Uh, I watched Succession last night. Succession? Succession. It's an HBO show. It's on HBO, right? Yeah. Um. What was it? What did I watch on set? Uh, what was that? The new season of Glow. Solid. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. That's what I was... Yeah, it's okay. I'm a. I've been all over Mindhunter. The new season of Mindhunter. My husband's been watching that, and he he's into it. Really into it. Yeah, I have to watch it solo. My wife is not going to watch that. <laughs> so scary. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two. If you could only eat three foods for the rest of your life, what would they be? Um, I mean, mine would be it- chocolate, peanut butter, and steak. Not together, <laughs> but those three things. Okay. Uh. 
So, I mean, is it like what you make from beef, or could I just say beef, and then I could I could make like meatloaf or steak or or I don't want to you know lock myself into any limitations, and I'm very hungry oh, right dang now. It. Like I would like you found a good like loophole. I like yeah. the tacos. Um, ooh, tacos, pizza, and dessert. Okay. That gives you more options. Okay. Number three, what is your favorite place that you've ever traveled to? Italy. Nice. Costa Rica. Ooh, also a good one. That's one of my favorite places. Chris was there. We did yoga. It was pretty good. Nice. And run around on four wheelers. Nice. We did run on four wheelers. We did yoga twice daily um, and a super healthy, delicious food and just the most delicious fruit at any moment of the day. Wild fruit. Yeah, they really do. I was buying, um, I went on the Pacific side. I was in Hako and um, Herradura. And there are so many fruit stands just on the side of the road. I was buying, like, stopping every day and just getting stuff. It was great. Yeah, we were in, we were on the Pacific side. We got to Santa Teresa. Okay. So a little bit more north yeah. of where you were. Mm-hmm. I my definitely wife, want to go back. It's beautiful. My wife runs a, uh, a yoga studio and it's pescatarian, oddly enough. But we get the uh, the benefits <laughs> on going on amazing uh, yoga trips. Oh wow, that sounds awesome. Okay, and number four, what is one thing most people would never guess about you? That I'm married to a pescatarian <laughs> yoga instructor. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good one. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm a pretty open book. Yes. What would you, you, you are? <laughs> yeah. Uh, pretty honest. Pretty open. Um, what would somebody not? I was born in California. Okay. That's a good one. What part of California? <clears throat> um, I was born in Sacramento, and I lived there until I was five. We like traveled all the way down uh, the coast, and ended up in Orange County. Before we left when I was five, so we moved back to St. Louis, where my rest of my entire family is from, and most of them still live. Cool. St. Louis is a great city, too. I love St. Louis. It's an amazing food town. It is. Uh, you know, it, it has its uh, issues that they need to figure out for themselves, uh, but the <laughs> town is amazing. There's tons of great history. Well, you know, not the like Whatever. Uh, but tons of, tons of great history, great town, amazing food, and amazing people. Uh, I'm very happy to be from St. Louis and extremely happy to be a Midwesterner. Yeah, I, I visited, I think it was 2011, um, and I went actually for a food-related um, magazine assignment. And my husband's really into baseball. We live in Miami, but not the best sports fans here. So he was just in awe of how much people love baseball there. And, like, he, he was just loving all the people and the loyalty. And he was into it. Oh, it's insane. You can go to a baseball <laughs> game on Tuesday afternoon at noon. 
and there's like 40,000 people. Yeah. You're like, aren't you, aren't you all supposed to be at work right now? <laughs> Very different type of fans than we see here in South Florida. So it yeah. was cool, cool to see. We're actually traveling to Nashville in two weeks. It's the first time both of us are going there. Do you have any restaurant recommendations? Yeah. Chris is going to have to email them to you. Okay, because yeah, I would love that. There are. Yeah. Nashville is. Yeah, let me, send, for food. let me send you a little itinerary. Cool, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> He'll send you a, a start to finish, morning <laughs> coffee all the way to your nightcap. Nice, yeah, we're just going to be there for the weekend. Brings you in a, we a wedding? We were looking for somewhere really quick to go. It actually was going to be for Labor Day, um, and they had really cheap flights, and we keep hearing great things about Nashville. And I made the mistake of booking it, thinking it was Labor Day, but it's actually the weekend after. So That's amazing. <laughs> I, but, went to, um, I went to time booked my wife and I uh, hotel rooms for uh, New Year's on January 31st. Oh, my gosh. Oh my God, I remember that year. I thought Kelly was murder you. <laughs> there was no more hotel rooms left in the entire city, so we just went home. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't feel that bad, because I was like, wow, these are really cheap flights. I can't believe for Labor Day weekend, but yeah, it's the next weekend. Well, um, <laughs> and, and I can tell you, you don't want to be here on Labor Day weekend. Okay, well that makes yeah, me you, feel better then. Yeah, amateur hour. <laughs> Everybody, come, everybody well, that knows anything comes the week after Labor Day. All right. Well, then I feel better about it. That's great. You're, you're going to have a blast. It's an amazing city. There's so much fun stuff to do. Yeah. We're both super into food. He's really excited because he likes um, – he's a big bourbon and scotch drinker. So he is really excited about oh, checking yeah. out a distillery while we're there. Um, That's good insight because you're going to Belmade Bourbon. Okay. Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much. Um, really quick, where can people learn more about you guys and Porter Road? PorterRoad.com. Fantastic. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this interview. If you want to check out more interviews in the Better Food Stories series, you can follow me at Audrea Greenhoff on Medium or visit AudreaGreenhoff.com. I'm also Audrea Greenhoff on Twitter and Instagram.